Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. It has been some week, another defeat, further sadness and beer out relentlessly trending on Twitter or X if you prefer. So what comes next for Sunderland? Stoke City is the answer as two clubs who hold a fairly strong disdain for Alex Neal go head-to-head in the Kenwyn Jones derby. And to join me in the shape of a debutant on the pod is the excellent Pete Smith, Stoke on Trent Live, Stoke City reporter. Pete, it's not the first time we spoke, but obviously it is your debut. How do you feel about it? Oh, privileged. Uh, we normally, Stoke normally get uh, people going the other way, don't they? From Sunderland, from Kenwyn Jones to Danny Higginbottom, Liam Lawrence, Rory Delap. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we owe you one. Thomas Sorensen as well, to name a few. Thomas Sorensen, um, yeah. Yeah, plenty. Um, the last four preview shows I've done with Stoke, Stoke fans, Stoke podcast, Stoke reporter, have all been full of Alex Neal chat. Now, don't worry, it is still going to be. Um, but let's start straight from the top. Obviously, uh, your most recent result, ironically, against Tony Mowbray's Blackburn Rovers, a 2-1 defeat. Um, but a lot of stuff came out with that. How was the performance? Yeah, um, Birmingham Mowbray. Yeah. Um, That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. I was talking to the Birmingham reporter uh, before the match because actually Stokes' last win at home on a Saturday afternoon was against Mowbray Sunderland. It's been a pretty rubbish uh, campaign home-wise for Stoke. And then um, I was explaining to him how Mowbray has a pretty thinly veiled disgust for Stoke over the years since um, since he locked on with horns with Tony Pulis and you understand how they have different styles and, and different philosophies of football. And I remember when Stoke won last season at Sunderland, Mowbray must have had a press conference for about 25 minutes after the game, talking about Stoke's approach and how he frowned upon it. Um, and then, um, sure enough, uh, after after the Birmingham match, Mowbray came up and he said that was the best he'd seen Stoke play for for uh, years and years and years. Even though Stoke had lost because they uh, because they passed the ball um, and and played with a, a, a an approach more to his liking. Um, yeah, he's he always gives us good quotes, uh, Mowbray. Um, and yeah, he was able to get a, a rare one over Stoke last weekend. Uh, Stoke actually did play well. Um, but the, they've been struggling um, in both boxes this season. They've um, they've defended normally well for about eighty nine minutes, and, and what they've done in the other sixty seconds has defined the match. And they've created chances without being able to put them away. Um, so no matter how good they've been in the middle, uh, that hasn't been enough to get results over the line. Interesting, you mentioned that Mowbray quote. I did read that, and I think I read it at first and thought, "Well, fair enough. That's a fair enough quote." But then I kind of remembered that. Stoke City beat Sunderland's Tony Tony Mowbray Sunderland 5-1 last season. So (laughs) is it a compliment or a thinly veiled attack on Stoke and Alex Neal? Because I was thinking, (laughs) man, you've kind of indicated it might have been a thinly veiled attack. Both, I think. He he doesn't have much time for Alex Neal and I don't think Alex Neal had much time for him. Um, uh, Yeah, Mowbray's been at war with Stoke for about 25 years, however long he's been a manager. Um, and he always used to used to hate coming to Stoke when, especially when Pulis was manager. Um, and he always used to make uh, snipes at the, at the way Stoke Stoke played. Doesn't like direct football. Um, it doesn't like counter attacking football. Um, so yeah, it's the uh, he's um, he's found an enemy in Stoke over the years. And it's funny you should say that because I think historically that's what you see from Stoke stodgy would be a word in a lot of times sometimes <laughs> really 
really, uh, what's the word? Um, it benefited Stoke for a lot of the time, got them to cup finals, semi-finals and all sorts of stuff. And then other times it has looked negative. Um, but in Stephen Schumacher, new man at the helm, I think we've all seen what Plymouth do. And Schumacher is probably more in the mould of a Tony Mowbray front foot team. Um, and he joined on exactly the same day where you appointed Michael Beale. Um, but from what I can see in the forums, it's a relatively good first impression. Um, what has been his first impression from what you from what you think and what the fans have said? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of his record. Last last Saturday was his first defeat in the league. He's won two, one at Rotherham and one at Birmingham, uh, drawn at home a couple of times. Uh-huh. Um he's, he's done he's done all right. He's, in fact, he's he's made a really positive start. Um, and improved the squad they inherited. I think it's fair to say um, they've created more chances now than they have done under Alex Neal. And and he came with a with a reputation for being a really gung ho attacking manager. Uh, so it's been a bit reassuring to see he's also been prepared to get his team organised and get them to dig in and get results over the line like they did at, at Rotherham uh, the, the Saturday before last. Um, he came with a CV pretty similar to Nathan Jones, done well at a, a smaller, uh, with no disrespect to Plymouth, um, a lower league club, got them up to the championship, uh, galvanised that club, uh, got them playing well and, and had uh, everybody um, singing his name. So it's been reassuring to to meet him and talk to him that he's, he's quite um, different from Nathan Jones in a lot of respects. He, he, he's very measured in what he says. He's positive. And, and I think he's naturally positive too. Um, and again, it's no, it's no disrespect to Alex Neal. Um, Alex Neal wasn't a naturally positive person. And when the, when the big screen camera shot on uh, Schumacher for his first Stoke game, he just had a really big, warm smile uh, that wouldn't have been how Alex Neal reacted. And I think Stoke fans have, have naturally uh, bought into that. I think everybody needed a bit of a lift. It's been a very been a bit too glum um, over the past couple of years. When you're winning, it's fine. Nobody cares if the manager's smiling or not, but um, it's been a hard slog at times as well. His style, I mean, look, we we had Alex Neal in a sense for 20 games, but I think his style was pragmatic. A lot of the time I thought he was tactically very good and we'll get more into how he may not have been at Stoke, um, according to the fans, but what style is... Schumacher and how does he differ to Alex Neal? And I know it's early days, so it won't be completely implemented. But what are the kind of subtle differences you've seen? Um, well, Neil, Neil's downfall was probably that he, he probably overthought in terms of tactics. If anything, he was he was so detailed, um, and sometimes in the championship it was just a bit too much changing your system from one week to the next, depending on the opposition. Um, I think Schumacher's primary objective making forward runs, passing forward, just being a bit more positive in their play, a bit freer perhaps, uh, taking the shackles off a little bit. Um, and the players have reacted to that. We've seen a couple of videos behind the scenes from training and everybody's training with a smile on their face, working hard and everything's quick, but everybody's enjoying it. And that's spread a little bit to Saturday afternoons as well. I think Stoke fans are a little bit prepared to be a little bit patient uh, with the new manager. Um, uh, uh, but there's hope that um, they'll the, the team will play a bit more freely um, and um, it, yeah, win more games is is the bottom line. When you look at Stoke's position, it's not great for a club of Stoke's recent history as well. 
But has there been enough evidence from Schumacher's early games to say that Stoke will not be in relegation trouble this season and there's a upward progression that you can take with him going into maybe next season? Well, that's the hope. Um, and we had this discussion actually after the game on Saturday because um, after the Rotherham game, there were 10 points above the bottom three. It's now eight points above the bottom three. And you don't want to be looking at your shoulder too much. And if you don't win your games at home, then inevitably you will be looking over your shoulder and Stoke haven't won at home since October. But I don't think... Uh, I answer to, to, to answer your question more quickly, they should have enough about them to, to pull away from the, from the drop zone, I think. Um, if you if you get pulled into the relegation fight, you, you really aren't, aren't good enough in the Championship this season. Those bottom three teams are, are really struggling. Um, and there's there's really not a lot between I think it's fifth and twentieth, isn't it? About ten points or something. If you have a good month, then you can you can pull a long way up the division. Um, Stoke haven't been able to have, have a, a consistent run of form, certainly not a consistent run of results. Um, and that that'll be the task. So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and say that Stoke are out of it, and we also uh, don't want to get ahead of ourselves and think that that it's um, uh, the the bridge is, is attainable between themselves in the playoffs, but. Um, hopefully they can they can pull up towards the top half, um, and and yeah, give give everybody a little bit of hope going into the next next season. Now I know he's in the past. I know we've mentioned him once or twice, but it is a Sunderland podcast. So we do have to go on to it. Um, it's the first time since we got promoted that Alex Neil won't be in either of the dugouts. Um, and last time we faced Stoke, I spoke to Wizards of Drivel, who've been on the show a couple of times. Um, who were vigorously not Alex Neal fans from memory. Um, and they said, look, I think if Alex Neal loses to Sunderland on Saturday, which was the game at the uh, the Britannia, they said, look, I do think he'll be gone, as it was. Beat us again, 2-1. Then you went and beat Leeds, 1-0, live on Sky. And then you went away to Middlesbrough, who were bang in form and won 2-0. And I thought, ah, oh, well, maybe he's getting it right. Um, it didn't go right. So... For us who are kind of unaware of Alex Neal outside of the games that we have against Stoke, can you run us through what happened following those sort of three games and ultimately why Alex Neal's Stoke time was brought to you probably a premature end based on the fact he was appointed a little over a year afterwards, uh, beforehand? Yeah, it, yeah, it does It does feel like a bit of a state of execution that um, when, when you talk about it like that, because um, even though Stoke played really well in those three weeks, in that week, sorry, those three matches, it was still bubbling under the discontent that, that, that had been building before. And when in the next month, they really struggled to win games and then they lost four in a row. That was really, it, it came came to the fore quite quickly that, that people weren't happy um, with with how he was overseeing things. Um, and the, the bottom line was that no matter how much, um, much scope he'd been given to reshape the club, um, he wasn't winning enough matches and, and uh, Nobody could see that, that he was going to turn it around to do that in in the short or long term future. It was really funny. I, I spoke a lot, obviously, to Alex Neal during his time at Stoke, and for probably fifteen and a half of the sixteen months he was there, he was absolutely adamant, hundred percent confident that he was going to be a success at Stoke. Not only getting them doing well in the championship, but with an eye on on what his plans would be when. Uh, when they got to the Premier League, not if they got to the Premier League. He was absolutely convinced he was doing the right things. And then all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks of his reign, 
I was talking to him about stuff like, does it feel like the world's against you because they had a lot of injuries and a couple of bad refereeing decisions and mistakes that cost them matches when they should have drawn or won. And he was going, actually, yeah, it does feel like the world's against us and, and no matter what I'm doing, it's not working. Uh, and that confidence and that uh, belief in himself just seemed to dissipate. Um, so he came to a natural conclusion. I think everybody um, thought it was the right time for him to move on. Um, no matter, I mean, 16 months in the championship is probably a pretty long stint. <laughs> You're talking about Michael Beale already getting chance against him last weekend. Um, so yeah, um, and and the uh, from talking to him in the summer, he, he was saying that even by that point, he'd done more work at Stoke in what 10 months up to that point than he'd done in four years at Preston or his time at Norwich or his time at Sunderland. Um, yeah, he had been given license to completely change things in terms of the squad, 19 new signings, loads of people got rid of in terms of coaches, uh, the recruitment department, medical department, uh, scouting department, everything had been given a completely Alex Neal overhaul. Um, but that, that still didn't buy him enough time because of results and because of performances um, to, to give him a longer longer crack at it. I think in your role as well, you'll have had much more conversations with Alex Neal face-to-face than maybe a podcast would or a fan would. Um, and I think when you look at Alex Neal at Sunderland, look, I'm not going to be a revisionist and say that he didn't do a great job for Sunderland. He, he did. I think he lost about one or two games in his entire time here and got us out of the absolute shiter that was League One, which we couldn't seem to <laughs> escape. Um, but- no, fun. no fun when you're stuck in that division. You can have a brilliant season and stay down. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a tough time and he got us out of it. And I suppose I'm thankful to him for that. But he sort of secured his legacy at Sunderland with his departure. There's there's no way around it. Going to see Stoke play when we were live on Sky and he was still employed by us. And But largely, and I don't want to be revisionist, I think Sunderland fans liked his personality, liked who he was up until that point that he left the club in the manner that he did. Um, you were someone that would have had 15 and a half months, 16 months, face-to-face, almost day-to-day conversations with him. Um, but Stoke fans never seemed to take talk to him. We we kept an eye on it, naturally, to hope he failed, because of course we did. Um, and it felt like after about six weeks, Stoke fans weren't too sure on him. What was your impression of him in your day-to-day professional life, and, and why do you think Stoke fans didn't really take to him early doors? It's the reverse Steve Cottrell, isn't it? Steve Cottrell would still get a pie in his face if he tried to walk down any street in, in Stoke. Um I got on with him, to be fair. He, he always had plenty of time for me. He was always uh, really open. I thought um, when he said he spoke fans, did, didn't take to him. I think you're right. I, I, there won't be a, a vehemence of violent um, anger against him like like there would be from the Sunderland then because of the way he departed. I think everybody could see that he worked really, really hard. He'll still get booed if he comes back because any manager gets booed when they come back. <laughs> but... Um, I don't. I think if you spoke to any Stoke fan in person, they'll, they'll appreciate that he put in a lot of hard work. He just didn't work, um, and maybe uh, a couple of the signings that you ever saw at the moment. Uh, we've got great hopes for players like Walter Berger and Bay John Howe that in in the fullness of time. Perhaps we'll look back and say, "Oh, it's Neil did well to bring, bring those two in." Um, and he did uh, did some good things as well. Uh, he was prepared to have Q and A's with Stoke fans and 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 talk to them openly. He was he was, he was really keen to have a, a dialogue with them, uh, which probably um, 
might not be natural to his personality in terms of um that, that, that might be unfair. He, he was really keen to 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 have an open line of communication with Stoke fans, um, and I think any, for any manager that should be applauded. Uh, but when you don't win games, then sooner or later, everything you do is just going to be analysed and over-analysed and scrutinised. And remember when Stoke lost to Plymouth in December, to Schumacher's Plymouth, as it turned out, uh, he got really booed as he was walking off. And um, th- it was a full away end. And he had to walk right past it. And I spoke to him about it afterwards and he was saying, I, I genuinely didn't know what to do in that situation. Do I applaud them and do I look like I'm mocking them? Or um, do I, I try and stand there and talk to them? Um, and and uh, what good would that do? Nobody's going to listen to me in that situation. Or do I just try and, try and keep my head down and quietly walk past them and go into the changing room? Because he knew at that point, no matter what he said, um, it was just going to be parents down and he was going to be annoying people. Uh, and it was at the point where um, we were talking. We had midweek matches every week, so we were talking to him before matches, after matches, uh, in the mid in midweek, uh, before and after matches, and, and people were just sick of the sound of his voice because they were losing. Um, and he, he admitted that himself; he knew it, and he said, "No matter what I say, it'll be the wrong thing at this point." Um, and he felt a little bit sorry for him, um, but he, he knew that's football. If you don't win matches, then you're there to be shot at. Looking at that's a long answer, sorry. No, no, I think I think it, I think it's a very detailed and good answer. Um, you know, when you're looking at none of us can speak for Alex Neil, none of us will ever be able to get inside of his head, like ever, period. And ultimately this question doesn't really matter. Um but looking back, do you think Stoke as a club and Alex Neil himself probably has a tinge of regret taking him from Sunderland or leaving Sunderland? Um well, he'd never been given that task before to completely reshape a club. The success that he'd had at Norwich and at Sunderland and to Preston to an extent had been inheriting squads and getting the best out of what he'd got uh, at Preston, even with the players like Ben Davies and Ben Pearson and, uh, and the likes. He, he pulled them up to, to tell him for the playoffs. Um, whereas at Stoke, he went in and he knew after day one or day two that the majority of that squad had no future under him. So that and that was the end of August. So it was almost the full season with a squad that, that they knew that they had no future under the manager, and the manager knew that they had no future under him. So he didn't make for a particularly happy place, I don't think, in the changing room. Um but, so he didn't have any stock in the bank because the results have been so poor during that almost a full season by the time he came to reshape his squad. And there was a lot of excitement because there were so many new signings coming in and, and some young signings and some exciting signings. Uh, during the last summer window, but if, if you then don't hit the ground running and, and win matches, then then sooner or later the Axeman's going to come for you. Um, um, we we did ask him a few times at various points of his stint whether he regretted leaving Sunderland, and his answer probably went from no, of course not. This is a brilliant challenge, um, and this is a challenge that you rarely get as a manager. It's almost like a championship manager. You go in and you can completely overhaul a club. Uh, make 19 signings of your own volition, completely build a squad to how you want it. Um, and I think his biggest regret is that that he didn't succeed in that rather than not take it up in the first place. Do you think that's ultimately why he took the job? Because obviously there's a 
a bone of contention about it at the time and it's it's gone into the new appointment and everything at Sunderland but I think ultimately the feeling was he did the departure in the wrong way but he left to go to Stoke because he had so much more say than he would ever have at Sunderland do you think that was the main thing behind it I know some people said money but I've always felt it was what I've just mentioned I don't um, the money was sweet and deal but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> even I think I spoke to him about it probably um a few days before he left after Tony Mowbray had left Sunderland we were just having a chat after a press conference and I asked him if he was surprised if Mowbray left. And he wasn't. I think he always thought that Mowbray was going to be a short-term appointment for Sunderland. And he was just saying, explaining what his thinking was at Sunderland that the manager didn't really um, have enough influence in the transfer department as he would want. Um, and that was his thinking. And that's why he left. And that's why he joined Stoke because he would have a big say in, in the squad that he was putting together. Um, that was his line, and I'm sure that's what he believes. Um, and I'm sure he's on the beach somewhere now, having a having a mojito, thinking, well, perhaps it wasn't the worst mistake I could have made. Yeah, true, very true. Um, there is one person that will be will be coming back to the stadium on Saturday that we really, really like, and I'm really hoping Stoke fans like him as well. But a player that I think we missed just in and around the dressing room, Lyndon Gooch. Um, there's a part of me that is pleased he's still wearing red and white, but feels weird seeing him in a Stoke shirt. I was <laughs> down at the the Stoke game and like seeing Gucci clap us and stuff and just seeing Gucci and anything, but Sunderland felt very, very alien. Um, it's his first as a back to the stadium like this weekend. He's going to get a good reception no matter what. But um, how have Stoke fans taken to him? He's got a couple of goals. One of them I absolutely scream at. Don't know if he meant it, but he looks like he's going down all right. Uh, there was a moment in the first half last weekend when there was a, you could hear this booing and I couldn't work out what was going on. What? what? What Stoke fans doing all of I was trying to work out if the referee had done something. And it was uh, Lyndon Gunch, Lyndon Gooch had got out and he was warming up in front of the booth at the end. Uh, so uh, the Gooch was coming out. Uh, yeah, so he is pretty popular. I've actually, I've spoken to him this morning. Uh, we've, we've got an interview with him ahead of this match. And you're right, a lovely fella. And he was talking about how his, his wife was as, as, uh, from a Sunderland family. Uh, kids, grown up Sunderland fans, and they're under pressure to... Put Stoke kits on this weekend, but Sunderland are looking after him still when he's going back up there. Um, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of love from him to the club, and he knows there's a lot of love back as well. And I think he said um, he has been surprised at the at the love that he's felt upon leaving the club, um, uh, and it's really made him proud and humble, humbled by it to be to to, to be part of a huge club. Uh, he hopes he's played his little part in in their uh, in their history by helping them get out of League One, scoring at Wembley. Um, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah. You can tell in the way that he tells the stories about it that it's, it it holds a, a, a big place in his heart, um, and uh, it always will do. Has he kept his pseudo Mac American accent, or has it lost got a bit of Stoke twang in there? Uh, he's part Irish, isn't it? Part Irish, part part Yank, part Sunderland, part Essex, I think, something like that. And and uh, he, he called us stuck when he was leaving as well. So, um, yeah, a bit of Stokey as well. Good. Um, before, I normally do this at the end, but before I do forget to do it, there'll be a lot of Sunderland fans that want to read that interview. Where can we find uh, that interview? Obviously on, on your page and the site. Yeah, uh, Stoke on Trent Live. It'll <coughs> be up on... Uh, uh, it's uh, Tuesday today, isn't it? Wednesday morning. It'll be, be up there. Um, yeah, it should be a good read. Fab. Yeah, yeah. Some of the fans will want to read that 100%. Um, 
bit of an obvious one here, but we've talked a lot about Alex Neal. I'm not going to play any part. We've talked a lot about Lennon Gooch. We'll play some part. Um, we're going to love him regardless of what happens. Even if he probably scores a hat trick, he'll probably still be all right. But who are the stock players that are currently on form? Like who are the players that you think you know we should look out for at the moment? Two players in particular, uh, both brought in by Alex Neal, Walter Berger, twenty-two-year-old central midfielder. He actually picked up a knock in the in the later stages last weekend, so fingers crossed he's all right. He's class act. He's um, uh, he's finding his feet in the championship and and. Uh, um, we spoke earlier about not getting ahead of ourselves, but he's, he's a Premier League player and he's going to be, he's going to have a big future in the game, uh, a really good character as well. Uh, Holland Youth International, he's come to the Championship to to make sure he can find his feet in, in English football, really ambitious. Um, and um, yeah, uh, um, having more influence with every week. And the other lad is um, Bae John Ho, a South Korean forward, and he's probably a number 10 in an ideal world. Um, Schumacher is playing the 4-3-3, so he can be squeezed into either a number eight in central midfield or or in a wide right or wide left role in the front three. He's doing everything right at the moment, balletic, um, until his final assist or goal. He's such a good footballer, he's such a lovely footballer, that if Stoke coaches can't get those final bits in his game, then they need to retire from football because he's um, he's got a load of potential um, and a big smile on his face as well. Uh, and I know it's stereotypical when you think of South Korean footballers to think that they've got big smiles and, and hardworking uh, and technically gifted, but he, he ticks every box and we're um, sure he's going to have a big future in the game too. I really do want to chat about something. This used to be my favourite part of the podcast, but I'm going to have to do a couple more questions before you go. Um, I know it at the start, Bealout has been trending throughout the week. Um, I think Sunderland fans have made it relatively clear with our thoughts on Michael Beale. The, the bulk, not everyone, of course, but um, there were strong rumours that he caught the, the Stoke job before he, he opted for Schumacher and he came here. Um, I'm kind of curious, and I know that you might be reluctant to discuss a club that you know you, you don't see every single week, but what have you made of Michael Beale's appointment and the subsequent fallout and Sunderland fans' thoughts on it from afar? I, it's been funny, hasn't it? Because the, the positive momentum was so hard fought for at Sunderland. I've been going backwards, stepping backwards for so long. Um, and Mowbray just seemed like a safe pair of hands up there. And um, I, I know that there's always more to it when a manager leaves than what is obvious from the outside. I remember people still talk about Tony Pulis leaving Stoke and how Stoke could regret that, not realising that they had three or four great years after uh, Pulis left. Um, he, he still holds a lot over the club. There's, there's always loads more going on that, um, uh, than outsiders know about. Um, but to, to give up that positivity, a bit like when Birmingham sacked um, John Eustace earlier in the season, I think it's a very dangerous uh, decision uh, uh, to make, a very delicate decision. Sometimes it goes right, doesn't it? And... and uh, uh, but it already feels like Michael Beale's got a, got a tough job on his hands to win people around. Um, um, yeah, so we'll watch with interest. I was going to say, you went through the... I always felt like reading the Alex Neal stuff on the, the Stoke City full-time results, even the win or a draw, whatever it may be, it felt like it was a long, drawn-out sacking with Alex Neal, as we kind of <laughs> touched on before. Um, you 
someone that's been through that kind of melee that's continuously going on. And I know you can't get in the head of Kira Louis-Dreyfus and Sunderland board, but from the outside looking in, how close do you think Sunderland might actually be to just dispersing with them and just departing uh, with Michael Beale? From the outside looking in, I think everybody would be shocked still. <laughs> Even in the Championship, uh, people get more than a month. Uh, um, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you're right, sometimes it's just better to rip the plaster off, isn't it? And mm-hmm. uh, um, Stoke of, the, the Stoke board uh, is a dream board to work under as a manager. And for whatever reason, the past five or six appointments have, have, have really not gone well. And it's been obvious after a couple of them that this is that this hasn't got success written written on it, and and they've hung on. Even with Mark Hughes, Mark Hughes should have been sacked maybe a season or half a season before he went. Um, and when you know that it's going to happen, uh, then it can feel like um, yeah, it's a, it's a slow death and pretty painful. Um, so yeah, rather you than us. Yeah, yeah. Last but not least, the age-old question of that I've actually been quite close with. Got one right in the past couple of weeks, and I'm terrible at predictions, hence why I don't really bet. But how do you see Saturday going, and, and what's your prediction? Uh, I've, I've been predicting Stoke uh, to draw nil-nil for every weekend in the past about three years. <laughs> it's been, but it's been a pretty safe bet. They haven't looked like scoring many goals, and and they haven't really looked like conceding too many. Um, so I'll go with nil-nil, but um, there is hope that Stephen Schumacher will um, get them scoring a few more over the next uh, few weeks and months. They'll be really compact um, and they'll, they'll be hard to break down. Um, so uh, it should be a different game, I think, to, to what it was um, last February or March, whenever it was. Mm. But I was very drunk after that game for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'll go with, just to cement my mood at the minute, I'll go with 1-0 Stoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll go from there. But, uh, Pete, thanks for joining me, mate. Fantastic debut, if I do say so myself. Oh, no problem, anytime.